There's a lot of things I could talk about, but we're going to talk about this. In that song, it said, um, there's another miracle. We're not going to run out of miracles anytime soon. And when they, when they spoke that, at least sang that song to me, or to all of us, I felt like it was to me, it was very important that we all understand that. Last week, we had some incredible things happen here in church. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> and <clears throat> there were some people that maybe you didn't even uh, tell anyone what had happened to you because you were reluctant to. And um, I will start off with myself. I won't go around the room and talk to everybody, but I want to tell you something. There's something about the way God moves. It isn't, it isn't that you feel a, uh, a heavy uh, a sensation in your body. It's not that you, uh, you start levitating or you go parallel or something like that. It's just that God just does it. He just does a miracle in your body and your life. And uh, Preston, wherever he's sitting, way back over there, he received, uh, his lung had been collapsed since he's a freshman, sophomore, junior in high school, whatever. He didn't, wasn't seeking or anything, but the Lord spoke a word, and when the word came forth, he said, man, the instant his lungs started filling up with air, it's the first time he'd been being able to breathe out of both sides of his lungs in years. Now, that's a miracle. I'm telling you it is. <clears throat> Nick Rowe, who usually stands here, let me give a demonstration. If you don't know who he is, he does this. That's Nick. Nick, you here? Oh, how you doing, Nick? I didn't know he was here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's Nick. Nick is a, he's a natural-born skeptic of things. And just not, not really skeptic, really just a, an analyzer. He self-analyzes everything. And, and he was standing here, and, and some, some words were spoken, and he began to speak to his heart. And he goes, Lord, I'm not asking for healing. No. My shoulder, he had a problem with his shoulder. He's had it for years. It pops out of joint. And he said, uh... All of a sudden, he started feeling kind of different, and he said, well, I'm going to wait. I, don't, I may be watching this up a little bit, but you'll get the gist of it. He went home that night, and, and uh, he wasn't telling anybody about it. I think he messaged, messaged someone. He got some information about the service, what was being said, and he, he had felt that God had touched his shoulder. He said nobody prayed for him, wasn't even seeking it, and he said, well, he put it through the test on Monday. So his office, where he was at, but he was putting a OSB board up above his head with both hands, and with one hand and screwing with the other. He was able to do that for several hours, and then I get a text Monday, and I'll just read it to you. Is that okay? <clears throat> if you have your cell phones, put them up. We don't need your cell phones out, you know, whatever. Yesterday, when you came on stage during music, you mentioned that an arm was being healed. Did you? I said, yes. He said, you even touched your arm, your left arm, and you said, you may not even be seeking it. I'll tell you what, Ron, uh, Ron back here. What's your last name, Ron? That's the same thing. Ron McCain, he came and spoke to me. He said, he said somebody, is their left shoulder or, or something up in their arm is really giving them problems. I really feel like God wants to touch them. This was during the worship. Nothing broke out yet, nothing happened. And so I got up and I shared it with you. And uh, I said, it was the left arm, and yes, that's what I said. He said, this is Nick. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't, well, I wasn't, and my shoulder was healed. He wasn't seeking the Lord. 
but his shoulder was healed. He said, I couldn't confirm yesterday, long story short, about six years ago, I had shoulder pain, I didn't, and it didn't allow me to use it hardly for anything at all. And we had a healing service, and during this uh, healing service, uh, shortly after I, I used it, I asked the Lord to heal it enough for me to get to normal, everyday use activities. And that's exactly what I got. But I still had pain when I used it vigorously. Well, yesterday I had this thought that the Lord healed my shoulder without even seeking it. Well, I can confirm today. I've had zero issues with my shoulder, and I've been putting up plywood on my ceiling above my head all day. Didn't want to say anything until I could confirm it. That's the part of Nick I was talking about. <clears throat> I know there was someone else in the church that were having uh, shoulder issues, their arms are hurting, their hands are they're just really confined and restricted in a lot of their movement, and instantly God touched and healed their body, and they were able to move their arms and, and things vigorously. Uh, I don't know, like Spanky, if you're, uh, about a year or so, a year and a half ago, he was having problems with his shoulder, and, and he received the healing. He was back here at movie night. Y'all, a few of you came to movie night, yeah. And he said, you know, back then he couldn't raise his arm above this, and now he can raise it up fluently. And then there was one other request. I don't even know your name. Johnny. Well, last week, he, uh, he came to church. He's in a wheelchair. And uh, I don't know if y'all noticed when he came in today. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? We accept things so long that we just we just begin to quit, and uh, and I no matter what was said to him, but you just keep believing and keep stepping and keep walking and strengthen those things, and then God will restore you completely. And uh, and then I had a problem with you know for the past, the past three years, uh, had a problem with my speaking, and a lot of my words are really kind of slurred and. And uh, my wife let me know last Sunday or Sunday night. She said, um, just so you know, your words were really bad. I could, I could hear you. And you could talk. And, and I hear you going, whatever. And uh, <clears throat> it, for the past three years, I, and I still have problems sometimes, you know, just hiccups. But uh, last Sunday when I began to speak, God began to just really take over. And uh, since last week, I'm about... I don't know how much better. How much would you say? 100% better. <laughs> uh, there's something about God and what he is. When, it, when they sing this song, there's another miracle in this room. You may have not even believed in miracles. You didn't come here expecting a miracle. You may go somewhere else and you don't even believe in miracles. I'm not trying to bust a bubble or anything, but, man, we live in a day of miracles. We really do. And, and uh, some of you, not, not, not too much applause on that one, but we do live in a day of miracles. And God, yeah. Some of you may have a hard time, maybe you're letting down your guard and, and, um, and just allowing God to do things. You see, I've always been, um, I'm going to go to a message in a little bit. I grew up in church and I uh, always had a certain way that I expected myself to live and my wife and my kids and, and all in our church and things. But um, before last Sunday, last Thursday, I was in here praying in my office, praying, and, and God began to speak to me. And then the next, uh, then someone said something to me about you got to let go of things that basically that confine and control what you think and how you think things have always been. And I encourage you, I'm not telling you, I, I, everything has to be done in order, 
And this is not going to be a madhouse and everybody in the whole church up here running around, flipping, doing dances and things. But there has to be a liberty and a freedom for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. <clears throat> and all I'll say to you is this. Get there. You mean I understand it, and I don't either. If I told you I understand everything, I don't. I don't understand healing. I never have. I know he does sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't. But I know this, that a person who doesn't believe, they usually don't ever receive anything God has for them. So today, just be open. Say, Lord, I'm going to receive anything you have for me. I'm going to read something to you. I declare and decree openly. I publicly declare and decree that it is of great importance that we desire his presence, his influence, and his power to work in our lives. We're a church that desires to see the lost come to Christ. We're a church who values every person that comes in those doors. We're a church that has learned to expect and trust God in, in all that he has for us. From the north, the south, the east, and the west, we are expecting people to find Christ here with an eager expectation of what God wants to do in their lives. The followers of Christ, as followers of Christ, we strive to walk in his spirit. And because we, because of who Christ is in our lives, we will never, ever, never, ever be the same as we used to be. We so declare as a church. That would be probably something I do before every message from here on out. I don't know. Maybe I'll fill a chicken. I'll quit at some point. But I believe with all my heart that at this time in our life, in our church, that we have to learn to declare and say things and bring things about. I know that um, Abraham was, was considered righteous because he spoke those things which were not as though they were. He didn't see them yet. He seen the faithfulness of God, but he began to believe things he hadn't seen yet. And there are things in your life that you've quit, you've quit believing for. You've quit trusting for. It made you a skeptic and doubtful of everything that God has in store for you. But if you ever, ever, ever begin to believe, begin to tap into a little bit of faith, it's amazing what God will do in your life. I want to say this. Just because you go to church here, not every person is all 100% all lost in, the, in their, their commitment to the Lord. And it's a process that we go through. When I first came to church, when I was a little boy, when I first came to church, and when a lot of people come to church here, they come and accept Christ, they come and find their salvation at the altars. There's nothing magical, there's nothing spectacular about these altars. It's just a place of getting honest with yourself. And I've said this so many times, if we don't learn how to be honest, all that remains is dishonesty. If you're dishonest, you'll never have what God has for you. So dishonesty is what you want to get rid of. So today I'd like for you to go, I'm going to continue this series, Race to Life. Race to Life obviously is about Christ being raised to life, but it's going to be more than that. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures that, that uh, I did not give Nikki in the, to put up in the back. So just bear with me. Hopefully you brought your Bible, you got your phone, your Bible app in it. If you go to John in chapter 12. What did Christ's final week look like? You know, was it exciting? Was he happy? Was it joyful? Really, it was about centered. It was centered about what he was uh, expecting the disciples. And he took the last week of his ministry before he was crucified and he spent it along with the disciples. 
chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the, before the Passover feast, Jesus went to Bethany where Lazarus, Lazarus lived. Lazarus is the man that Jesus raised from the dead. And they had, dinner, they had a dinner for Jesus. Martha served the food, and Lazarus was one of the people who was eating. Mary brought a pint of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she poured the perfume at Jesus' feet. And she wiped his feet with her hair, and the sweet perfume filled the whole house. And Judas Iscariot, one of, one of Jesus' followers who would later turn against him, was there. Judas said, this perfume was worth more than 300 coins. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? But Judas did not really care about the poor because he only cared because he was a thief. There's something about this scripture that set, things, set some things in, in, in uh, perspective for the next six days. Because Jesus was teaching the disciples things that only he could do. And the only things that, that were pertinent to them because they were going to carry this message. And he was putting all, response, all the responsibility upon these guys to carry a message. You know, today, every message that you hear, everything that you've experienced, it came from these 11 disciples who went up again to proclaim the word. Because Jesus took special time the last week. We know that he only lived 32 and a half years. But the last two and a half years of his life were so packed with so much information, so many stories, so much doctrine, and so many things and experiences that we relate to today. So here we have Jesus. He's, he's at this dinner, and at this supper or whatever, and this lady comes in. She begins to, to cry and weep, and she begins, she breaks this spike nerd or this, this jar of oil, of, of, of myrrh and things. It's a real strong flavor, strong smell, and it got everybody's attention because the whole room knew it because the whole room began to smell. And so Judas had a problem. You see, some of us have been to church for so long that somebody does something different than us, and it's not with God. It's not righteous. It, 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 it can be according to the word, but it's not right. We have a, a high, we have a higher level of uh, respect for ourselves than what we should. Because some things happen in our midst. Last week when we were all up here, there were several people up here praying. I know there's some people that never moved. You never see anything. That's not, not my point. My point was this. The people, many of the people that began to receive touching it and a healing in their life is people that haven't been here that long. And I began to wonder why are people coming and people receiving who haven't been here that long. And I thought that many times we ourselves, we get so church, we get so controlled by what we think in our tradition, what we've always been taught, that we don't enable God to do the things he wants to do even in our lives. So moving right along. So uh, there was this lady, and, and, uh, and Jesus touched her body, and, and not touched her body, he touched her before, and I'll go to that a little bit later. Now I'll go to the same chapter in, in verse 12. It said, the next the next day, a crowd, a great crowd had come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And they heard that Jesus was coming there. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. I'm going to stop here. Because last week was, was about the last week and all the things he went through. And this is bringing Christ into this great resurrection and great uh, transformation of all the Jewish people. And he was going to be the new king. But they were sadly disappointed. Now, go to John chapter 13. 
Verse 1. It was, it was almost time for the Passover feast, and Jesus knew it was time for him to leave this world and go back to the Father. He had always loved those. He had always loved those who were in, in who were in his own world, and he loved them all the way to the end. Jesus and his followers were at the evening meal, and the devil had already persuaded Judas Iscariot, the, the son of Simon, to turn against Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him power over everything in that that he had come from God and was going back to God. So during the meal, Jesus stood up and took off his outer clothing, a towel. Taking the towel, he wrapped it around his waist and he poured water into a, a basin. He poured water into a bowl and began to wash it, the followers' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you will understand later. Peter said, no, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I don't wash your feet, you are not one of my people. The thing that Jesus was establishing was not a pecking order, was not a qualification. He is the leader, and as the leader of this group, he got down on his knees, and he began to wash everybody's feet. You may think, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is this. If you were over and you were alive in that time, when you washed somebody's feet, you were either a slave or a servant to, to the, the, the head of the house there. And you would go around and you begin to wash everyone's feet. Jesus was establishing something in his life about it was going to carry on with him. It even represented about what he'd done on Calvary. Everything was about giving of himself and doing for others. So often we get so focused on what we want and the way we do things that it inhibits us from ever reaching out to anybody else. So Jesus got down on his knees and began to wash all these feet. About a year and a half or so ago, we had a foot washing here at church. There's four of us that were up here to wash their feet. Four people washed them, and, and uh, it wasn't as powerful as what uh, Jesus done. But I was trying to get us to understand about taking on the form of a servant. And everything in, in, the, in what Jesus was doing the last several days before the Passover feast was about preparing the people, preparing the disciples to be servants. What do you think was the worst thing that could happen in each of their lives? The worst thing that could happen, they begin to think it's all about them. Who the best speaker was, who the most intelligent was, who the most polished was. And Jesus was, was trying to guard against that. Because it had nothing to do with how polished or how good or how talented they were. It had to do with about the sincereness of their heart when they reached out to these people. I'm going to go to my notes. He set the stage for imparting the important things. The leaders of people... The importance of leaders of people being the same by the example we set. Everything is done by setting an example. And Christ was the epitome of a perfect example. We always talk about uh, people that we admire in the Bible, but sometimes people don't say Christ. They say Paul. They talk about Moses. They talk about Daniel. They talk about different people. But Jesus was the one who, who set the, the, the bar very high, and it is attainable most of the way for us to pursue after him. So he caught him off guard. He dealt with Peter's pride issue. He even washed Judas's feet. What kind of a person would get down on his knees and begin to wash his feet? I don't know. Could you do it? No, because let me tell you, he already knew that Judas was going to betray him. Everything about these, these next few days was about preparing them for what God was going to do in their life. What kind of man was Christ? Washing the feet of, of Judas. 
And then Peter, having to explain himself to Peter, Peter wasn't sharp enough to understand it. He forgave even before it happened because he forgave Judas, but he also forgave Peter. And what did he forgive Peter for? For three different times he denied the Lord, and he already forgave him. There's something in our life that many of us have resentment and bitterness toward people that we don't forgive. I was listening to Joyce Meyer teach on this once, and it's amazing. A person can live with unforgiveness, and the person they have resentment toward goes on and lives life happily. And yet you are in bondage in a, in a cage because you're so controlled because of what somebody done in the past. It, and it doesn't matter if everybody knows it. You're just in a cage. Chapter 14 is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15 is, is the remaining the vine. How important is it? I was looking at the baptismal service from last year, and I thought, man, some of those people, one or two people, are not even in church anymore. And I began to think, Lord, what are we doing wrong when people get baptized? And it is a big deal. It's a very big deal. It's one of the greatest things we can do outwardly to show people that I'm taking a stand for my, for my Lord and my Savior. But then we don't take it serious enough. Remain in the vine. Get disgruntled and get plugged in something else and allow other things to come into your life. It's important because Jesus specifically saved that message and that teaching for them in John chapter 15. You can't remain strong and faithful until you realize this. You cannot. Luke 23, Luke 23, and verse 13. This is after all these things had taken place, and he was arrested, he was taken into captivity, and, and he was before Pilate. In John chapter 18, we see that that he was arrested, and every every gospel is a little different on the how much time they spend on the on the crucifixion and all the details. And on John, it's very brief about about Peter and his his uh, experience about him denying the Lord three times. But it wasn't brief in Peter's life. I think it was the final straw that finally broke Peter into what he should be. And so. Here we go with Jesus. He's before Pilate, chapter 23, verse 13. Then Pilate called the people together with the leading priests and the rulers and said to them, You brought this man to me, saying, He makes trouble among the people, but I have questioned him before you all, and I do not. I found him not guilty of what you say. Also Herod found nothing wrong with him, and he sent him back to us. Look, he has done nothing for which, nothing for which he should die. So after I punish him, I will let him go. And the people shouted together, Take this man away. Let Barnabas go free. Barnabas was a man who was in prison for the, his part in a riot in the, in the city in the murder. Pilate wanted to let Jesus go free and told this crowd. But they again shouted, crucify him, crucify him. The third time Pilate said to them, why, what wrong has he done? I can find no reason to kill him. So I will have him punished and set him free. But they continued to shout and demanded that Jesus be crucified. The yelling became so loud that Pilate decided to give them what they wanted. And he set the man, he set the man who was in jail 
variety, murder, and handed over Jesus to do with him as they wanted. It's amazing how a little bit of motivation can change everybody's opinion. These people were easily influenced, especially when a leader began to encourage them to say and do certain things. The call of for Pilate for the innocence of Jesus. The people may have agreed that Barnabas was a killer and a murderer and a right starter. As a matter of fact, he was riding along with everybody who was in this part of the Sanhedrin. He started to rise just like they did over Christ. Let's go to Psalms chapter 22. About maybe 1,300 years before Christ, there was a king. His name was David. And he was just writing about himself and writing about some things that he didn't understand about confrontation he was having with other people. And he began to prophesy. He didn't know it at that time, I don't think. But he began to write some things in, in his Psalms. In Psalms chapter 22 and verse, uh, verse 14. My strength is gone, like water poured onto the ground. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted inside me. See, what Christ went through, I'm about to read to you. And we're going to go back and read what David said. Flogging or scourging was done before every crucifixion. The scourging was intended to bring a victim to a state of short of death. It also hurt very much. The whip had iron balls and it tied a few inches from the end of each leather long thong on the whip. Sometimes sharp uh, sheep bones would be tied near the ends. Of the, near the ends, the iron balls would cause deep bruising, while the leather thongs would cut through the skin. The sheep bones would hasten the process of cutting into the skin. After a few lashes, the skin would be cut and would be the skin would be cut through and the muscles would begin to be cut. Blood loss was considerable and the pain was likely to put most people into shock. After the scourging, the flogging, Jesus carried his own crossbar called a patibulum, whatever, from the flogging area inside the city of crucifixion outside of the area and the city walls. The crucifixion area was always outside of the city because the process was horrible and disturbing to citizens. The upright part of the cross was permanently mounted to the, permanently mounted to the crucifixion area. The part of that Jesus carried was the, cross, the crossbar, weighing 75 to 125 pounds, and the crossbar would be balanced on, the, on his shoulders, and his arms were tied to the crossbar. In this position, if he fell, if he tripped or he fell, he would not lose his arms to break the fall. He would usually land likely upon his face. Once the crucifixion was reached, he was offered a drink mixed with myrrh to act as a mild painkiller. And drink was uh, a charitable service performed by an association of women in Jerusalem. They offered him they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. That's in Mark chapter 15. Jesus 
final hours on the cross had lasted approximately from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., a period of about six hours. The chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? You know, if God doesn't do things the way we like, if God doesn't heal the way we like, if God doesn't come through when I, I give him a timetable, he doesn't come through when I, I, I expect it. It's amazing how we put ourselves in the place of God without letting him carry out a lot of his plans and a lot of things that he does. It's for a reason that you don't know yet. And a lot of times we get in such a hurry for God to hurry up and answer us that we miss out on his answers completely. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him rescue you. Let him rescue now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Answering the question of how long Jesus is on the cross is complicated by the text of the two systems marketing, marking time that we're using in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke use the Jewish system of marking time. John uses the Roman system. Using the, the Jewish system, Mark says, they crucified him, divided his garments, and among them, casting lots for them, and decided what each of them should take. And it was the third hour when they began to crucify him. According to this, Christ's crucifixion began at 9 a.m. So it would have been Friday, 9 a.m. Friday morning. Also using the Jewish system to mark the time, Matthew says that from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land to the ninth hour, Matthew 27. That is, the darkness lasted from 12 noon to 3 p.m. This is Jesus' final hour. You know, there's a lot more. There's so much. I told my wife there was so much you could think about in, in, in an Easter message. And there is so much. But I feel like the, the message that he had had me to speak to us as a congregation was his purpose in doing all of this, not just what he went through. What was the end result? What was he wanting to see accomplished in all of our lives? There's no way that me and you can even begin to say how excruciating it was and the discomfort that he had. Now, my strength, in verse 15, my strength is dried up like a clay pot and, and my tongue sticks to the top of my mouth. You laid me in the dust of death. Evil people have surrounded me like dogs. They have trapped me. They have bitten my arms and legs. I can count all of my bones, and people look and stare at me. They divided my clothes up from among them and threw lots for my clothing. It's amazing to me what he went through. Go to John chapter 20, verse 19, and this is where I will close. Verse 19 says, when it was evening on the first day of the week, the followers were together. The doors were locked because they were afraid of the elders. Then Jesus came and stood right in the middle of them and said, Peace be with you. You see, fear had the disciples running from what happened to him thinking that they were next. I'm going to close, but we're going to do something a little different. Why did Jesus come? That we might have life 
and we have it more abundantly. Sure he did. And he came that, that you can live a life that is different. Maybe it's different than anything you've ever experienced. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Well, those are great scriptures, wonderful. But the real reason he came was so that you don't, are not lost and go to a devil's hell, right? It is. What price was he willing to go through? And who was he willing to die for that they could obtain salvation? Let's look at these. 